Let me introduce you. Let me introduce you. Well, welcome back. It is a new season of the world's best and greatest film and friends podcast. Let me introduce you. Yes, oh, yes. Don't forget the most humble, too. Obviously, mm-hmm. of course, the most humble. And so we are a podcast where three friends who met in film school just about 20 years ago, uh, <laughs> I know, uh, who have loads in common except our taste in movies. So, in the truest spirit of friendship, each week we will be introducing a movie that at least one of us has not seen. We will break it down, talk about why that movie is important to us, or why it's memorable, and why we wanted to introduce the others to it. So, without further ado, let me introduce myself. My name is Katie, and I'm joined by the most fantastic, wonderful people on the planet as my co-hosts. It's like a lot of pressure. I know, but it's true. Um, I'm Ashley. I'm I'm the okayest member of the group. That's not true. Your hair is fantastic today. <laughs> I'm Graham. I'm the gay one. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, and you're so much more. Uh, yes. Well, not really. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all. That's all you are. That's pretty much it. Um, everyone I talk to is always like, "I'm a Graham," and I'm like. How come nobody says, of, I'm an Ashley? I know, what a lot of people are like, either I'm a Graham or I want a Graham in my life. And I was like, well, you get in line. Guys, I'm Yeah, blushing. get your own, because he's <laughs> our Graham. <laughs> I aspire to be a Graham. Aspire to be a Graham, yes. <laughs> yes, that is that is the new tag for this season. Yes. Friendship is no suffering. Longer is it fr- <laughs> yeah. No longer, no longer is it friendship is suffering. Aspire so, to be a Graham. For those who've been listening a while, we took a bit of a break over the summer. We all got a little, you know, crazy with work and life and, you know, whatever. So like we a, wanted... Like the pandemic that's still going? Yeah. The pandemic that's still going in addition to the what? litany of a million other things. Um, so we, we thought really hard about what you, the listeners, would like. What would be the best offering to you as our season three opener? And we thought we would bring it back to where the three of us started as three film and television graduates from the College of... Oh, wait. College of Communication. That's right. Calm. No, 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 because I'm like calm, but calm stands for College of something. I'm like, no, it's College of Communication. Whatever. I mean, technically it should be cock, College of (laughs) Communication, but, you know. Yes. It's calm, communication. Yes. That's Um, what So... We all went to comm at Boston University. So for this theme, for the next few weeks, we will be discussing films from BU alums. Woo! Yay! Also, way to go with the CGS erasure. Um, we were, I don't like okay, to we're editing. We're editing that out. No, thank I did you. not go to see <laughs> We're editing that you out. You know what? I am proud of my CGS beginnings, motherfuckers. No, no not me. It says I don't know what I want to do. Uh, um, who does know what they want to do in college, nobody. though? Come on. Those kids are lying to you. Sure. And themselves, mostly. First up is 1962 CFA, College of Fine Arts graduate, Faye Dunaway. Uh, and Faye. I was like, you know, she, she has just an unending stream of amazing, amazing films. So what better film to discuss than the one that killed her career? <laughs> We're talking about 1981's mother of a film, Ooh. Mommy Dearest. 
I like that. I will say this, Katie, is we missed an opportunity oh, no! to do a movie with her and another famous BU alum, Jason Alexander. I proposed that we did the movie Dunstan Checks no, In. No, no, You guys said no. no, no. I, you were missing out. I've seen it a dozen times. It's amazing. No. I think I've actually seen that. Yeah, I've it's seen it too, so it doesn't qualify to our, no. all right, fine, fine. to our parameters. But yes, Mommy Dearest. But Mommy Dearest. So Graham and I have seen it. This is Ashley's first viewing. Um, so before we get into the synopsis that Ashley is so wonderfully going to provide, Graham, mm-hmm. would you please totally give us the, the box office? <laughs> yes. So this came out 40 years ago this week. Wow. Isn't that insane? Totally kismet. We didn't plan that. And it came out. So, so the weekend of September 18th, 1981 opened seventh that weekend uh, with $900,000, but it was only in 80 theaters, so it, it made a pretty penny, if you think about it. But uh, ultimately, it only brought home about $19 million, which is about $62 million today. Mm. So a modest hit, uh, but maybe we'll get in later about how the, the studio pivoted yes. when the film came out. Uh, but o- other things that came out or around that time that of note were uh, Body Heat with Kathleen Turner and um, William something. What was his name? <laughs> that guy. He was know. hot in it and then not hot. Um, and uh, An American Werewolf in London. Oh. So around that time. And Stripes came out around that time. So it kind of gives you oh. an idea of, of what was out around the same God, time. I love but Stripes. wasn't a bomb, but wasn't uh, anything to, to kind of celebrate. Hmm. Okay. All right. Um, Ashley, would you mind, uh, for those, those in the audience who don't know, uh, giving us a synopsis of Mommy Dearest? I would love to. Um, We're doing this in classic Ashley style, uh, which is unprepared, slightly rambling, and going to leave a couple of key points out. Um, (laughs) But hopefully if you've seen it, it will get discussed later. Um, I love to just create a stir. Um, The IMDb summary is (laughs) the... A good place to start. The abusive and traumatic adoptive upbringing of Christina Crawford at the hands of her mother... Squeam, scream, scream. I'm sorry. Squeam. Screen queen. Yep. Squeam. She's also um, not a screen queen. She's, a, she's, a, she's no, not a screen. Screen. Screen queen. queen. I really wanted it to be scream, and I was like, wait, yeah, I, she wanted, I wanted in it to be horror scream. movies. <laughs> I wanted to be a scream queen. Um, and how that's depicted. So we start with Joan Crawford, who, like, I know the name, but I don't really. I, I like, yeah, I know Grant. Excuse Look at that me? face, like. I'm sure if you were like, she was in this and that. I was like, oh, right. Uh-huh. Yep. For sure. I know. I don't. All right. Uh, Listen, not man. <laughs> let's not forget well, actually, that depression I, and trauma affects your memory. You don't okay. watch a whole okay, lot well. of older movies either. I like, don't. Not anymore. No. You still love film noir. So it's Joan Crawford, right? She's a big deal. She's um, a big deal. She's a big deal. She has it all except a kid. Um, and... She tries to adopt, but gets rejected because she's a single woman in the 19... I don't know what... 1939. Okay, it was 1939 when she tried to do this. Um, So she buys herself a baby, um, is enamored of it, um, has this birthday party for her, and then suddenly she has another adoptive child, but everything's posed for the studio, and little Christina is being so amicable. But then she starts to exert independence, and Joan Crawford is pissed because she just wanted someone to love her unconditionally, you know, kind of like how she feels like she controls her 
you know, entertainment lawyer boyfriend. Um, and mm-hmm. as it goes on, we see how fucked up Joan Crawford is as a mom. Like, she can't handle anyone else getting more attention. She wants to completely be in control. Like, her daughter just plays with her hair stuff because that's what fucking young kids do. And she literally starts hacking away at her hair. It She, like, at one point sends Christina away to boarding school because she can't handle her, so it's a punishment. And then Christina has a steamy first date. So mm. then her mom gets pissed and rips her, brings her back and punishes her for being away and... There's this interview when she's coming back and she's like, I have to present a certain attitude. And she's like choking her and I'm like Mm. mid about to kill her. And the interviewee and Joan Crawford's longtime assistant come in and pull her off. And then you find out that Joan Crawford's actually broke because she's not getting the roles anymore because she got let go of from her studio. And then her daughter decides she wants to be an actress and starts to get some success then has to get her appendix out. So then Joan Crawford steps in trying to play her daughter in her 20s in a weird fucked up turn. <laughs> she, so has a, she has an ovarian cyst. She doesn't have her appendix. It's not an appendix. It's oh, an I'm sorry. Cyst. Ovarian cyst. I thought it was Very different. Yeah. I did not realize. I was like, appendicitis, right? Um, and then at some point, like... They sort of make up and like Joan marries this really rich guy, but then he dies and apparently had a lot of debts because Joan was just racking it up. It's like, Joan, girl, learn how to manage your money, right? Um, and she tries to blackmail this company into letting her be on the board. And then she and Christina sort of make up, but I get the feeling that Christina was like, you just, you do what Joan says to minimize the damage. And then Joan dies they go to the reading of the will and characteristic Joan Crawford leaves nothing to her children because she wants them to fight it out on their own. Joan, you're a bitch. <laughs> End scene. Very, actually, that was one of your better no, ones. That was better, yeah. yes. It was not I'm actually quite rambling. It was like 98% accurate. It's pretty good. This is good. I just, um, you know, for diehards of the film, I like you to uh, get upset and then chime in while you're listening. Much like you would uh, (laughs) listen to, you would scream at the TV, right? Mm -hmm. I'm here for the audience participation. Like a scream queen. Yes, like a scream. A scream queen. queen. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's not a penicide. It's an ovarian cyst. Oh, God. (laughs) Um, So, yes, Ashley, well done. That is the gist of this this documentary biopic biopic yeah 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 that's the word i was looking for which i um before i only ever read it when i was a kid and i thought it was pronounced biopic ma'am same i think i, I mean it's, yes. just, it's like I saw, it's those words you learn by reading and then i saw yeah i saw eyes of tammy faye last night oh! and i was like what a great bio biopic shouldn't there be a hyphen then biopic I don't know. I agree. It would make it much easier for the rest of us. So let's dive in a little bit. So this biopic uh, is based off of the book uh, of the same title, written by Christina Crawford herself, uh, Joan's adopted daughter. Uh, Christina was, um, you know, born to teenage parents and adopted by Joan Crawford. Uh, Joan, by the way, originally named Christina Joan Crawford Jr., Uh 
And, uh, you know, she adopted uh, Christina and then Christopher very back-to-back with her ex-husband. And then when that marriage fell apart, she renamed them as uh, Christina and Christopher. Uh, Wait, so was the lawyer her husband this whole time? uh, That lawyer wasn't a real guy. He was, like, an amalgamation of a bunch of, uh, like, boyfriends and dudes. Yeah, that she had at the time. Uh, We agree he's hot, right? Of course, yes. Yeah, yes. In fact, his his line delivery of like, "Good luck, good night, goodbye," I thought I thought <laughs> was perfect. Yeah. Um, so Christina, uh, you know, she was an actress in the '60s and the early '70s, mainly played small TV parts. Um, she is now twice divorced and operates a bed and breakfast in Northern Idaho. Um, the Ooh. book that she wrote was one of the best-selling memoirs in the history of American publishing. So it pushed more than 700,000 copies in hardback and over 3 million in paperback. However, she had no involvement in this film script whatsoever and received zero royalties. Although she did write a first screenplay that was rejected. Mm. Yeah. I do not like people getting uh, credit for their work or money. Well, the interesting thing, and we'll we'll go a little bit into this, but uh, most of what is in the film is either accurate as as, like corroborated by like Christopher himself or by other actors and actresses of the time or uh, a combination of things that actually happened. So it doesn't seem, at least in the research that I did, that they went too off the rails. And like there's a few instances that we'll get into later, but... um, from what it, from what I've been reading, it seems it seems pretty accurate. She didn't she didn't mm. lie. Uh, so the screenplay for this film was um, written by Frank Yablons and Frank Perry. Frank Yablons was um, the former president of Paramount Pictures during the quote unquote Paramount's golden years. He didn't write much else, but he also produced this film, 1995's Congo. And the Ooh. 2005 TV series Rome, amongst, amongst a few other things. Damn. Yeah. Those were I was like, oh, Congo nice. sucks. It, of course it sucks. <laughs> but it's also great. But Michael yeah. Crichton. Uh, mm. And then Frank Perry, who uh, he wrote this screenplay. He also never wrote anything else. Uh, he was also the director of this film and was mainly a director by trade. Um, but he stopped directing in 92, three years before his death. He's also the half uncle of Katy Perry. Oh. No shit. Yeah. I would like to highlight he also directed the amazing Hello Again with um, my favorite person, one of my favorite people in the entire world, Shelley Long. Oh. Do you love See? Shelley Long? Yes. I scrolled through his film credits and I was like, I haven't really heard of any of these. But right. uh, well, You should need to see Hello Again <laughs> for damn sure. Uh, he Put did direct two actresses to Oscar nominations. Uh, Catherine Burns for Best Supporting Actress in Last Summer. <gasps> oh my god, that movie is so good. Yes. And Carrie Snodress for Best Actress uh, in Diary of a Mad Housewife in 1970. Mm. So it's kind of funny when, uh, and we'll get into Faye Dunaway in a second, but uh, she bra- blames uh, Frank Perry for not having like the expertise to deal with actresses and rein them in. And I'm just like, dude, he got... Two of these women to Oscar nominations. You thought this was going to be your Oscar nomination, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Faye, let's talk about Faye right now. Let's talk let's about talk Faye. Let's talk about Faye. Let's talk about Faye. Let's dive into Faye. 
so yeah so so katie before we get to, to Faye, like so we had there's so many alumni from bu that, mm-hmm. that we had the opportunity to choose from yes and why why did Faye jump out at you uh well you took gina davis so. <laughs> <laughs> we all uh, love Gina. No, 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 we no. Love Gina. Uh, it was it between this. It was between Faye and it was between. I was like, well, like the one you always hear is Howard Stern because Grant. Well, well, all three mm-hmm. of us did the radio a little bit, and Graham and I did the radio a lot, and so you always hear about Howard Stern and you know how he got his radio start at at BU, and I was like, oh, but I don't really want to watch and talk about private parts. Um, so I, I had recently, like, I had watched Chinatown recently, you know, I like Bonnie and Clyde. I like, like, I love her early work. And then uh, Mommy Dearest to me is just, it's just so much fun to watch. Like, it's not boring. There, it's, it's always engaging, both, like, the sets and, like, the, how everything, like, her outfits are coordinated to, like, the scenery around her. But also just, like... It, it's it's super duper over the top film. This film is known for being campy. It's known for being over the top, which it absolutely is. Oh my and god! Is it ever? It mm-hmm. was just. I was just like, it sounds fun. It's a fun thing yeah, to do. Yeah, absolutely. It is. A, it is a classic. It is an absolute classic, and in a way that she does not like it to be. No. Mm-mm. And uh, so let's let's talk about why, and we'll talk about mm. the wonder that is Faye. Uh, so, Faye Dunaway obviously plays Joan Crawford. Uh, she was originally a University of Florida student. Graham, she's Ooh. from Florida. Where in Florida? Uh, somewhere I'd never heard of. It begins with a B. It was like Bubba something. Hold on. Baba, Florida, yes. Ba- so well known. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, everybody knows. Baba, Florida. Baba, Florida. Florida. Got it's the biggest little there. small town you'll ever biggest see. Biggest little small town. Great custard. Love it. Um, <laughs> Bascom. Wait, is Florida Bascom. known for custard? No, I don't know. I don't, oh. Yes, I don't know. No, it's not, actually. Bascom, Bascom, Florida. Do you know where that is? No. Well, that's why I didn't bother no. to write it down. <laughs> okay, you know, it's been a while since we've done this. You don't have to be so mean. <laughs> She's just really channeling Joan. She I'm is. sorry, she's really trying to play as Joan. Also, listeners, we'll post this on the Instagram. Katie looks amazing right now. Oh, my God. She got Buffon on. I did, so. A la 1940s style. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm I'm really, like, you're talking about over the top, and I just cannot stop staring at your face and your makeup and the overlining. Like, I attempted to very quickly try to overline my lips, and I was like, I can't do this. Just Katie's the, she's the makeup queen in well, our in, trio. Well, in, cel- in celebratory fashion, because I'm so happy that, that the pot is back, I did the 19. 19- 1940s like roll hair uh very quickly if you see it in real life and you'll see it on, we'll post a photo it looks like a giant hot mess but it was fun and i also i did the blue eyeshadow and the giant eyebrows mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. i never wear lipstick really uh but i have giant red overlined lips right now because i wanted to make it they look so good i wanted to they go all out so for everybody. good and also, your again, we can cut this out, but your breasts also look amazing. <laughs> I lowered the camera so you can't see them. Yeah. Katie adjusted it. That was literally one of my notes was rolled bangs, question mark? <laughs> They're no. really I was like, hard. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to, I'm like, do I want to try this out? Do I want to see what can happen? But, yeah. Yeah, it seems like too much. So, anyway, uh... So she was a University of Florida student, and she transferred to BU to go into acting. And so she got her degree from CFA in 1962. And just weeks after her graduation, she had a really difficult decision to make. She was either choosing between a Fulbright scholarship to the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts or a role in Broadway's 
A Man for All Seasons. Oh, shit. Yeah, so she chose the latter. She chose to go to, to, go to Broadway. And that's kind of where she, she started to stand out. She started to, like, um, you know, get noticed by, by people. Um, she would go on, of course, to win the Oscar for Best Actress for 1976's Network, which is Ooh. frigging amazing. Seriously, one of the greatest Best Actress wins of all time. One of the greatest roles ever. I love Network so I much. She is amazing in that movie. I do too. Time out. Guys, have I seen Network? Yes, you have. Are we sure? <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold it. You wouldn't but, put it past me to not have yeah. seen it. Yeah. I don't. I wouldn't put it past you to school. see it. I'm sure we we read the screenplay in one of those weird screenplay classes. That's we true. Took, the guy who believed. I think in I aliens. only read the screenplay. Wait, is there like a really uh, like some like monologue scene with a dude, like a white dude? And Ashley, come on, you know this movie. I'm as mad as hell and I can't take it anymore. I don't know if I've ever actually seen it. Can we put it on the list? <sighs> You know, it's funny, and, and so as, as we go on, I will, I will describe how, how much of a monster people thought of Faye Dunaway for working on this film. Oh. And uh, speaking of network, uh, you know, so there was, a, there was a revival of network on Broadway a couple years ago with Brian Cranston and Tatiana Mullaney? Mullay? Mazzaley or something? She was playing the role that, that Faye played, and Faye did not enjoy her performance at all. She was, she was very catty about it, and she, she was just like, she didn't have any of the, the cutting edge to, to the role that I brought to life. And I was like, okay, all right. But anyway, uh, so she got the Oscar for Network. Uh, she was also nominated for Best Actress for Chinatown and for Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, mm. So, you know, she, fairly highly decorated up until this point. Yeah. So yeah, this film would go on to uh, well, it wouldn't actually start her Razzie wins. <laughs> uh, her first Razzie was for the first Deadly Sin, which she actually won the year before Mommy Dearest. Must have been the first Razzies too. That I don't know. I don't know yeah. what year they started. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, she has she won obviously the Razzie for Worst Actress for this film. Um, she has also won Worst Actress uh, for The Temp and was nominated as Worst Actress of the Decade, which uh, for The First Deadly Sin, Mommy Dearest, Supergirl, and The Wicked Lady. Well, yeah, yeah, but like grain of salt with these like golden raspberries. They just pick somebody and like trash them. Well, do you want to know who won? Which I, I was like, you don't, haven't done enough to, to win. Who? Bo Derek won that year. For, oh, for Bolero um, and Tarzan the Ape Man. Okay. Which I was like, no. Faye Dunaway's earned it. You give it Yeah, to I'm her. just kind of like, mm, well. But this Mommy Dearest uh, was also the first film to nearly sweep the Razzies that year. They had five wins, of course, including Worst Picture and three out of the four acting awards from the then record nine nominations. So it didn't do great. And then the 80s were rough for poor Faye. Um... You know, she she would do a lot of horrible things, and uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if if, uh, if she got better until Dustin checks in in 1996. Okay, or 1998's so Gia. That, I mean, that was a good movie. Gia's a I good know. movie. I'm trying, but to I think, think what, what like a, there are some some upward swings. 
she was on Don Juan to Marco as well. Um, I think what's so interesting about her is that like her 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 reputation with working with her is really not only this movie, but just like her her working reputation destroyed her career because it was said that she was so difficult to work with. I also think that we have to think about how women in media who are seen as difficult Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. more so often than men. So it's like how much of this really was sexism. But it does sound like Faye is an absolute nightmare, actually. It kind (laughs) of does, right? Especially because, like, the accusations aren't... I mean, granted, there are sexist accusations from women as well. But... Uh, it seems but women like are can also, playing. you know, play out misogyny, right? Like, we yes. we fall to that. I wonder, so I was just reading that it's like, Joan got her way, like, in a ladylike way, so that, like, Faye didn't perform manipulation in the way that people wanted to. Like, that's my wondering. Like, and, like, was she just going method? Was she just being a total yes. bitch? Or is she just constantly a bitch? And were people upset with that? I don't know, it seems... It seems like she was just a big jerk. I mean, she was so you know she was a method actor. Um, she was she was she is probably one of the most successful female students of method acting, um, quote unquote, experiencing the moment rather than indicating the moment. Mm. Of course. Can I just say one quick thing about her? She was sued a couple years ago by one of her ex staffers who who was said that she referred to him as a little homosexual boy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, if Faye Dunaway called me a little, little homosexual boy, I would just faint out of like, yes, thank you. Yes, I am. Thank you. <laughs> well, it would be like, very much like a yes, give me another. <laughs> right. <laughs> so like, you know, with, with method actors, they, they, they try to like live in the role and experience the role all the time. Uh, yeah. But Faye seemed to connect to Joan Crawford before even getting cast in this role. So actually, Anne, Anne Bancroft was was the one who was originally cast in the role, and she left due to creative differences on the script. Um, so Faye, um, she, she connected with Joan's experience of adopting. She had adopted a baby boy with her boyfriend at the time. And then for 23 years, Faye kept up the pretense that her son was her birth child. Um, so she was hmm. able to empathize with Joan and, and her experience. Uh, she showed up to the producer's house, totally dressed up as Joan Crawford to land the role, which, you know, the way I'm dressed right now, you do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but yeah, she, she, she apparently couldn't stand to be looked at while acting. <laughs> So I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So uh, of course it was a close set, but but that extended to the other actors who were sharing the the time with her. So uh, actors who were supposed to be in scenes with her were forced to stand behind the camera with their backs to her unless they absolutely had to share the shot. And then Joan, uh, or, or excuse me, um, I'm gonna do that a lot. Faye. Mm-hmm. Uh, would would change the blocking so that they wouldn't have to look directly at them. It's there was there was a lot. She got in a lot of arguments with like the, cost, that is the costume director. Nuts. Yeah, that is wild. The costume designer was like an eight time Oscar winner too, and like it made her cry on set constantly. And like these aren't like new people into the field; these are respected peers. And she just completely eviscerated them continuously throughout the making of this. Yes. Um. And one one point that you know we should we should talk about too is so um, 
they they were in pre-production. They were they were getting the sets built, and then uh, Faye uh, threatened to quit unless her then husband Terry O'Neill was given a producing credit. So this was in reaction to Christina Crawford. Uh, her her then husband David Coons actually was hired as an EP to act in Christina's interest. So Faye was like, "I want Terry to get an EP credit as well, uh, or I walk." <laughs> so they gave it to him. For absolutely nothing, he did jack all. But apparently, at the time, like in in the early eighties, like late seventies, early eighties, women had their like if they had a, a a man they were trying to like put forward or or you know they needed the protection. Apparently, that happened a few times. Like uh, Barbara Streisand's uh, boyfriend, um, I guess she did that with him a lot, and it was very strange. Hmm. Yeah, very strange. I want that kind of job where I get paid to do nothing. I know, I do. Oh, no, yeah. How do I get that? What do I have to do? I don't know. What do I have to not do to get a job to not do anything? <laughs> <laughs> so, let's talk about Joan's performance. Or, God, I keep doing that. I mean, no, it's, it's they're one in this. I can't help I mean, it. in this moment, yes. And, you know, maybe that's because, so, like, Faye felt that Joan was, like, haunting her. Was, like... Yeah. Like, like, staying with her when she would go home. She felt that, like... Joan never left her. So what what did you guys think of her performance in this? Well, as a gay man, mm-hmm. Mommy Dearest has been a part of my film repertoire for for most of my life. It's something that lots of people quote. Drag queens do performances of it all the time. I mean, it's a classic performance. I hadn't seen it in years. I just had seen little clips and pieces. And she's... I think the first like seventy five percent of this movie, it's a terrible performance, um, and 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 how over the top it is, and we could probably talk about the wire hanger scene separately, but yeah. like it's just so intense, and I'm just like, I can see the the disconnect between her and the director, because he didn't rein it in at all, and mm-hmm. I think that was one of her criticisms for him. She's like, you didn't tell me to like bring it back because it's so crazy, and and way too much. The last quarter, when things aren't looking great for her, and she and Christina are having more of a connection, and they have those quieter moments, that's when I think it works. Yeah. Because she fully, as you mentioned earlier, Katie, she fully intended to like win her second Oscar yep. for this. She really thought it was going to happen. And I can kind of see why one would think that, signing on to this role. It has this huge, huge buzz because of the, of the book. But it's just like, this is the same woman who who chilled you to the bone and network and, and made you like feel that tragedy in Chinatown. And you were with her at the end and Bonnie and Clyde, like how is this the same person? Yeah. So it's, it's just a fascinating failure of a performance um, that it's incredibly watchable though. Yeah. Cause it's so over the top. You can't, you can't look away. You can't no. like a lot of the scenes too. I was like, I can understand where they were trying to go for drama. And I'm yeah. just like, like it's it's so much it's so much to yeah. watch the opening is so good though when she's getting ready at her house and you don't see her face and she's just getting ready and, and going to the the studio mm-hmm. and she's in the makeup chair and they turn her around with that lighting on her face she goes let's go mm-hmm. I was like, oh that is great that's such a great opening that i thought it was personally um but it just it it just did not you needed it to be more like toe that line of campiness and over the top, but it just like was just it was sledgehammer completely all over it. 
there was something that's like she doesn't chew the scenery like she inhales it or something there was yeah i saw that said that yeah uh ashley what did, what did you think about her her performance yeah i um foolishly like i get this is a, this is a film and friends podcast right so i'm supposed to be looking at it with more of a film criticism but i don't know what i was doing then that i was like well, i'm just gonna watch this i'm just gonna experience it right yeah. um and I wasn't thinking about how fucking bananas the uh, portrayal was. I was just like, Joan Crawford was fucking nuts, right? Like, <laughs> I just took it as literal. I didn't think like, ooh, Faye, you know, you're doing too much. Um, because when I was watching, I was like, I don't, you know, embarrassingly, I don't remember what Joan Crawford was in, right? I'm like, this woman seems fucking insane. Like, who acts like this all the time? And it's like, yeah, who who does act like that? You know, I think it's, I think it's really interesting. I, you know, when we were in film school, I went through to like production three or whatever, but I was never interested in directing. Um, I was never like, I'm not a great writer. Like I'm great at when people have stories. I'm great at, um, at being able to make that story a little bit better, right. To contribute to it in, in that team manner. Um, and so for me, part of my education that is missing is like how an actor really does work or excuse me, how a director really works with actors and coaches them and pulls them back and all of that. And one of the things that I thought was interesting and frustrating about our education is that I only remember one instance in production three of us connecting with the CFA kids and we would always like advertise like, Oh, come be in our short film or whatever else. But there wasn't at least in my memory, which we all know is a bit faulty. Um, there wasn't enough of that finessing or what else, but again, like I, th- I think there was like a directing class and I never took it. Right. And so maybe that's where it occurred, but it's, it's interesting for me as an outsider um, of somebody who had a glimpse of that to to think about like what can be provoked through somebody who has a really a really good hold on the film and if this this director had been able to direct other actresses to Oscar wins not just nominations like what was missing what was going on in this production that didn't have that occur because obviously you know like when you're filmmaking there are so many different influences and so many different pieces that are going in there but like why did they allow Faye to what it sounds like is terrorize the entire cast and crew you know did whoever was in the most seat of power or whichever producers or the studio did they feel like this was also going to be an Oscar vehicle. And like, how did other people try to drain it in? I don't know. That's, that's yeah. really interesting to me about, cause there's so much that goes, goes into producing any piece of art. And yeah, I think part of that Ashley is right. They, they thought this was going to be a big Oscar push for them. And I guess I don't want to jump on your toes, no, Katie, please. but like when the reviews started coming out, it was clear this was not going to be a film that was going to win any positive awards. And so after a couple of weeks, Paramount Pictures switched around their promotion of this movie to basically kind of uh, 
piggyback on the negative press that it was receiving and saying, come see the mother of all movies. Like, basically, come see this garbage piece. And it actually helped yeah. the movie. And that pissed Faye off so much because she's this respected actress, respected actor who, like, studies her craft and is very method. And, like, how dare they exploit this role for a financial gain? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, like, like yeah, it was like a Rocky Horror Picture Show vibe uh, for this movie. Um, but, like, I, I was thinking about it a lot, and I think maybe just, like, people... It's, it's clear that people cared a lot. People put their heart and soul into this movie from, like, you know, of course, Faye, to, like... Even, honestly, I think the director did a lot, too. Like, he thought he was doing the best the best that he could. Like, okay, so, perfect example. Uh, so, Diana Scarwood plays the adult version of Christina. Um, at some point, and, and Ashley, I'm, I'm wondering if you've heard about this. He used the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Test. Have you heard about this? No. What is this? I'm so curious. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I guess, I guess it's a widely used research clinical assessment tool used by mental health professionals. Uh, and he used this to help Scarwood and uh, Mara Hobel, who was the child Christina, um, to come to similar conception about their character. Uh, so this test, I guess, was like administered by the two, to the two actresses um, a few times over a few weeks. Uh, they were told to answer whatever the questions were as they thought Christina would answer them. Um, mm. So it seems like a director who who either like kowtows to what his lead actress wants or uh, you know doesn't really care wouldn't have gone to steps to to yeah. try to do that. Um, yeah. Speaking of uh, Diana Scarwind, um, I did want to talk just real quickly about her. Um, she did a lot of film or a lot of TV and a lot of like TV beforehand. Uh, she would go from here to act in 1986's Heat and uh, she was in Cycle 3. She was in What Lies Beneath. Um, she was also Cher's girlfriend in the Oscar nominated Silkwood. Yeah. Um, I need to rewatch that. Mike Nichols. I never saw it. It's good. I never Ooh, saw we it. we can put it on the list. It's hard. It's, uh, you can't stream it anywhere for some reason. You can't even rent it. Or at least uh, presently it's not available. Hmm. hmm. But she's also an Oscar nominee. Yes. Yes, she is. Um, Graham, she also graduated from Pace. So you guys have something oh. in common. Look at that. My, my, my first master's degree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my like, name is Graham, and I have two oh, master's degrees. Oh I also went to Harvard. <laughs> thank you, Teach for America. <laughs> um... And uh, yeah, she's good. I think she's solid in this. Yeah, movie. I thought she was good um, too. She she didn't have the same effect. Like nobody seemed to have that same effect that, or nobody seemed to be affected in the same way that Faye was. Like, it, you know this this. But again, everyone in the in the cast and crew kind of connected and bonded. And Faye just was like, would rather believe this movie did not yeah. exist. She won't talk about it in interviews. She, you can't bring it up. She, yeah. She's walked out of Which is, like, it's frustrating to me because I'm like, where did she draw this? Where did she draw on from her performance to be so out there, right? Like, the little bit that I read was, what was it, that, like, Betty Davis talked about how Joan Crawford was really rude and whatever else. But, like, for others to say, like, she got her way in a, in a ladylike manner. Like, like, if you're so method, 
Faye, where did it come from? You know, or who misled you or how did you misinterpret that? Or did you have like one experience with Joan Crawford and it just struck you to your core? And she's like, she must have been like this all the time. And like Betty Davis is the expert on hating Joan Crawford. Uh, You know, they had a, a, and and she uh, years later was asked, who's the most difficult person to work in Hollywood? And she said, Faye Dunaway. Yes, I love that. (laughs) I love that so much. I saw that too. And and Betty Davis also was against the the book saying that it was not an accurate portrayal of the woman she knew. Hmm. Hmm. And I think this lends to some int- like because there were a lot of detractors to, to Christina's book yeah uh, when it came out and just a few things that there was how many of these people were kind of like they knew things were going on and kind of protecting yeah. one another mm-hmm. like complicit mm-hmm. yeah complicit and also just like child protection laws were not what they are today than they were then like back then you just had to suffer through it um, yeah. so just like how much of that was actually happening in, in Hollywood I mean it's 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 crazy to think. Yeah. yeah, and how much of them detract now is like, yeah, that retroactive protection, right? Of mm-hmm. like, yeah. No, yeah. I, it's fucked up. People will do a lot to protect themselves. The abuse scenes in this, I mean, know how like that's like, oh, they're so campy, but rewatching the 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 wire hanger scene, which is the most iconic thing in this movie, yes. um, it, I I didn't realize how long that scene goes, and it's yeah. really fucking disturbing it's uncomfortable and yeah it's real and that is like i think that is the sequence that destroyed her career because she's so insane in it and i get like okay over the top can't be and i get why it's it's big in 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 uh you know cult film but it's just there's so much and I, the little girl who's playing young um young christina um just like my heart breaks for her in that scene and it's just, it's really hard. Though when she, at the very end, when she just goes, Jesus Christ. I know. It's, it's kind of like, okay, that's a nice, a nice, uh, you know, check mark at the end of that yeah. scene. Yeah. No, well, for me, like, yes, that scene was very intense. And yet I believed it. Yeah. Like it, it was in line with the rest of her portrayal. Right. But yet, like I could believe that someone who is potentially unmedicated and an addict, right. Whose emotions just go all over the place and who seems like so, so controlling, like to the point of a medical issue. Um, And I think like, I feel like Joan was both like hated herself, but was also a total narcissist and thought like she was the best, right? And everything she did was perfect. Like I could see somebody having a protracted losing their shit like she did over the wire hangers. It it's here's my the main issue I have with this movie is, is there's no sense of time. Yeah. Like when mm-hmm. thing how long thing until she like is aged up. It seems to me that that there's, the scenes do not go together. So she wins the Oscar, and then the next scene is the wire hanger scene. I'm like, is this yeah. the same night? Is yeah. This months, is this months later? Because there's not this kind of connection between the two of them. I wonder how much is on the, the cutting room floor. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's also to show she went from these incredible highs to these incredible lows. Mm-hmm. But like, in another, in a better film, there would have been a, a connection there. But there's just, 
there's not a way for me to know is this the same night is this a year later is this a month later like there's i don't understand no i i totally agree with you and um that actually is another scene i wanted to talk about which is the rose garden scene uh so you know that pres- that immediately uh follows her being fired from her mgn contract apparently in the book like the reasons for her bizarre outburst were unknown like so mm. like that rose garden scene was something that could just happen like apparently joan would just wake up the kids in the middle of the night and like make them clean stuff or make them like help mm. her with like she just had these manic episodes um and so like you know it's it's it helps a viewer's brain to have motive but i don't think in reality there always was motive although to tell a story would have been helpful yeah. yeah, you're right, Graham. Like that that lack of a sense of time in the film, it made it feel very disjointed. So like I couldn't care for like there was a a um a missing emotional connection happening in this film. It was gone. And it's such a bummer because I think a lot of that can be achieved through editing or sort of like transitional scenes or other things like that. And there was nothing about this that I was like, oh, that was like an interesting edit or whatever else. And maybe I would have yeah. to rewatch it to, to kind of look at it. But it seems like there are subtle things that could be done to have made it flow a little bit more. But you're right. It felt mm. like mm. she adopted this baby and then, bam, we're having Christina's birthday party. And suddenly there's another kid, right? And then there's yeah. this and there's that. And then there, she's practicing swimming in the pool and then Joan is challenging her to a swimming contest even though she's an adult and that I mean that scene kind of led me to believe like that's fucking that's fucking weird dude like why are you challenging a small child to that so that like contributed to the unhinged part but it just it felt very bits and pieces like let's just smash a bunch of scenes together two things one is, um, I kind of see why Joan would want to beat a child in swimming, because if I ever play my nieces in games, I'm like, I'm going to win, because I'm, like, 30 years older than you. Um, <laughs> like, you got to learn to win. <clears throat> but I think the, one of the biggest, I think, failed emotional parts of the movie is, is when she comes home from the seminary, not, not the seminary, she's, like, in that yeah, very like religious the, the, nu- the nunnery. And the, the interview is happening, where which results in them, like, getting in a like a tumbling fight and she goes why did you adopt me mm-hmm. and then it's like well you did it for the press and it's like that that needs to be made more of a thing in this that this was just to help her career and it just fell really flat because as you say Ashley like I don't know if, like it's hard for me to care about what's going on here when I have no sense of, of a connectedness between this story mm-hmm yeah, I saw some of that performance for the press, you know, like, oh, Joan comes forward or like they're having that radio show or whatever it is mm. in their home and dropping away. But like I needed to see, I don't know, you're right. I wanted a little bit more of that drawn out, like give me some other smaller scenes or give me more of who Joan Crawford was and how she was perceived and then the door kind of shutting right and i think maybe part of it too is when it came out joan crawford was you know so much more well known so now we're watching this 30 plus 40 years later and i'm like who's joan crawford again right like i'm having that disconnect so i don't have that picture of who joan crawford is in my head to juxtapose against 
this representation of her. But I still feel yeah. like, I mean, clearly at the time, folks still felt like it wasn't, it wasn't right. And like, here's here's some stuff that I think because you're, you're saying um, you were saying a couple times like, oh, she was like a lady or like she she handled herself mm-hmm. with class. Like, why did we never see her working on set? Yeah. Why why didn't we see that juxtaposition? Hmm. Right? Because that would that would have been really adding to the drama of this of like look at her how she's so performative at work. I mean, yes, we did see the publicity shots at home. It, so much of it took place at home. And I get mm-hmm. the point, it's through Christina's eyes. And that's where she saw her mom, like was at home and not at work. But I don't know, there, like we didn't see enough of Joan, I think, beyond these like highs and lows. Um yeah, Until the end. it's it's as if you're trying to say like child as auteur, but like not enough because mm. it didn't go hard enough into that for me. And yet you needed you needed more of that establishing of the hard difference. Right. Otherwise, all we saw was the true insanity. And we didn't get to juxtapose that against like how much of, to me, what seems like she really was a monster because if she, it seemed like her life was this constant performance, right? And, or, I don't know. I just, yeah, I would have liked to have seen more of that on set and that, like, Mm. fawning and, like, America's screen queen, not squeam, screen queen and, like, (laughs) that adoringness. And then juxtaposition, like, oh, that's really fucked up. Like, it's really pulling back Mm. the veil on who Joan Mm. Crawford is. All we saw was, like, Crazy, 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 crazy. It's like when you're making a mix, right? And I'm not going to say mixtape because, you know, well, our generation will know what a mixtape is, right? Like, it can't be all rise. Like, you've got to blend it in. And this just felt like all insanity rise all the time. Well, that's it. And I think that, that you know, that's going to lie in the on the director because, you know, when you have, like, uh, timing and, like, things of story, it's all down to pacing. And, like, mm-hmm. you know, you can't have... Like, this is going to be a totally dumb comic example, but I say this in comics all the time. Like, sometimes you'll read a, com- a script or something, or you'll read a comic book story, and it's, like, tons and tons of panels per page. Like, nine panels, 12 panels, whatever. And then you blow it out with a double-page spread of one image, and that kind of relieves the brain and relieves the eye and relieves the story because you're, like, mm-hmm. you've been tensing up and tensing up, and then, boom, here's this beautiful thing. Nothing really was like that with this movie. It was all just, like, you're just, like, this tight little stress ball the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I I wonder how a horror director would have handled this and it, if it would have been better, right? Because with horror, there has to be that like rising tension and relief and rising tension and relief. Yep. Yep. And the relief kind of throws you off a little bit. You're like, oh, whatever. So then the next like hit is even harder. Yeah. I do want to edit something I just said, which was we never saw her on set. We do actually at the end when she's taking over for mm-hmm. Christina. But it's, like, past her prime, right? Yes. Yeah, and she's you know, drinking not, on set. Yeah, um, yeah, which, I mean, again, that whole part of the movie, is that whole part of the story is so crazy. Like, filling in for her 20-year-old daughter. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but, like, the scene where she's, like, I'm turning, she's in the hospital watching her mom, and she's, like, turn it off. Mm. Like, this I couldn't so believe bad. that actually happened. I'm just, like, yeah. oh, my yeah. God. Oh, my God, that was a real thing. That was... And she wasn't even on, Christina herself wasn't on that show for very long. Mm-mm. So, um, but I do, I do think th- that the last like 15 minutes are when it's quieter, it's slowed down a bit and they are making those connections with one another. And when she goes to accept the award for her mom and the mom and she's watching on TV, that's a tender moment. Mm-hmm. But also 
it hasn't earned it, right? Because, yeah. But like, you're. But I guess I mean, you know, when you're a victim of abuse, I don't know. It's 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 uh. I just didn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I I could see how in real life that could happen, but right. for the I mean, story yeah. within the film, yeah, you're right. I didn't believe it. I, I didn't have enough buy-in. Yeah. Um, and especially if Joan is not helping her out financially. Like, I know her one stepfather, like, slips her some money, right? Like, there's also this part of me that's like, why didn't Christina just say fuck it? But then if you also are enduring your entire childhood of abuse, like, there becomes that weird thing, like, yeah, I didn't see enough of the, like, abuse and then super loving and abuse mm-hmm. and super loving. Like, what I saw was, let's perform for the cameras at your childhood birthday party, but then you only get to keep one, right? Yeah. And then, oh, no, I acquiesce, so you get to keep two. You know, there wasn't enough of that, like, how did she convince her child that she was loving, right? And it's... Like, I know it's based on Christina's experience and her book, right? And it's her perspective. But, like, you needed to draw in that other perspective to provide contrast and to have that thread coming through all of it. Exactly. Totally, totally, totally agree. Okay, so, you know, with all that being said, Graham, Ashley, would you guys watch this movie again? With the right crowd of people, yeah. Yeah, watching it by yourself is kind of depressing. Yeah, watching it by (laughs) yourself is like... But if I was... In a Rocky Horror style esque situation, uh, or maybe like going to a show that like like would do like a drag numbers about it afterwards. Yeah, I would because um, it is a, cl- a you know a camp classic. Absolutely. I think if I did watch it again, it's like an if I would want more commentary. Whether that I think John Waters like provided commentary, but he did it as like a straight drama, like. I would want that context that I personally am missing to better understand it. Um, So whether that's with other people who are chiming in and it's more of a collective interactive experience instead of we all just sit and watch it um, or, or getting that director's commentary. I will say that is one thing that I really miss about watching things on streaming is the option for all of those DVD extras and learning a little bit more. And I joke sometimes of like, well, who needs actual media anymore? And I'm like, "Mm." but I miss that. I miss, I miss the option for it. I miss the ability to learn a little bit more. Yeah, I kind of wish, like, I know Faye Dunaway's, you know, getting up there in age, but I think it would be amazing if she would do her own commentary from her point of view and, like, write the story as she saw it, as she went through it, but I know that'll never happen. I don't, I don't think that's I ever going to happen. That would be really yeah. interesting, though. Do you, think the guy, do you think this movie would be good if they remade it? You could never touch this. I know, I'm like... It's too much of a classic. Yeah. You can't, you can't touch it. Yeah. Yeah, I just think there isn't... I I just also think of, you know, modern audiences and, like, so who would be the audience for remaking it, right? Like, who's going to both have enough buy-in about Joan Crawford and background knowledge and Faye Dunaway to care to have it remade? Although I wonder if there's almost, like, a... Um, like, who is this modern version, right? Who is the modern version of Joan Crawford who's so abusive where it would have the same reach that it that they anticipated or wanted it to have for Joan Crawford and Faye Dunaway? Mm. Well, that's hard to do because, because it's, you know, a biography. But, yeah. yeah like, I, you I, mean, I, like, somebody... 
You mean like somebody from like currently that would have a like a film about them like this? Yeah. Yeah, if it's oh, like we want to make know, this like, type of film about somebody who was so beloved but was actually really abusive and now. And I think, I think that right? story may come out in a couple of years about somebody like, yeah. I yeah. Mean, maybe that story is going to be told. Ooh, that kind of creeps me out. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, um, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of dark things out there in Hollywood. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, so that is that, that wraps up our, our first – Back, back to, uh, back to podcasting. Back, back, back again. Back. Uh, so, Graham, you will be discussing next week's BU alum. Do you want to give us a little preview? Uh, well, so when I introduced this uh, topic to y'all, I was like, I claim Gina Davis. <laughs> yeah, she was yes. very strong about that. I, I was like, I want this love, topic, and I want Gina Davis. I'm like, I want Gina it. Davis. I claim it. I love Gina. She is. Um, just she, she's brought so many wonderful roles to the screen. What we're gonna do next week? Uh, initially, I, I I thought we were gonna do Thelma and Louise, but you know that 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 film has had its day. I mean, it's it's wonderful because I don't think either of you have seen that. Mm-mm. I haven't. Um, no. But I wanted to to highlight one of her, what to me is one of her best roles, uh, and an underappreciated uh, when it was released, but I think it's gained a lot of appreciation, and um, and that is her action star vehicle. The Long Kiss Goodnight. This is something that she and her husband at the time, Rennie Harlan, released mere 10 months after the biggest box office disaster of all time at, at that time that they did together called Cutthroat Island. I'm not going to make you watch Thank that. Thank you. But we are going to have to talk about it in, in conjunction. We did contemplate doing that for our disasters. We did. But uh, Long Kiss Goodnight is it's an action film. Uh, it is fucking badass. I can't wait for y'all to watch it. <laughs> is she it. blonde in that? Like icy blonde? I'm not going to tell you. Because I feel like I've gonna, seen the poster. You're, you're going to be very surprised okay. by her performance in this movie. It's, I mean, I don't want to put it too high up there, but it's, I think it's a badass movie. So we'll be talking about that on our new schedule, which is we are no longer weekly. Yes. Just because we've got a lot going on in our lives, but we still want to be able to bring you content so we are now going um we call it bi-weekly bi-weekly Bi-weekly. so we will see you in two thursdays from now yes um so we're gonna start doing a bi-weekly schedule and sometimes we'll have some special episodes in between um but that is our new schedule for for season three yeah we do have uh some fun some fun stuff planned we do have some special guests that will be gracing your ears um yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited for this season. Yeah, we have a guest-filled season. We do. A lot of, actually, I think most of our episodes have guests. <laughs> the first three are just us. Yes, yes. Um, so yeah, we are. We're super jazzed that you are back listening with us, and and hope you'll understand that we have lives. Um, yeah. And so because we have things going on. Yes. But we also want to say thank you to all of our listeners in the past couple months. Asking when we're coming yes. back. Um, we we did a post a couple weeks ago on Instagram. Follow us at Let Me Intro You Pod, um, and we just got a lot of great notes from people saying we're so happy you're coming back. We were wondering when we were going to hear you again in, in our in our ears. So we are we are super jazzed. Yeah, thank you guys so much for sticking with us and for for wanting more. We really appreciate it. I would also like to do a special shout out to two of our newest listeners. 
um, which should have me watching the amount that I'm cursing, but um, they've known me since their births, so they know that I'm not going to. Want to give a shout out to my two favorite youngest, um, I'm going to refer to them as nibblings, uh, aka my siblings' kids. What up, Eli and Ivor? Um, Love those, love those little little homies. So... um, yeah, our, our language was pretty good in this episode. We didn't it was. I was impressed. Yeah. Um, they listened to cats uh, when we were in the car together, and I kept cringing at myself for everything I was saying. So I would just like to say, you know, oh, our... when we were talking about which cat would you have sex with? <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we definitely have a, a younger listeners at seven and ten, um, and hopefully we have some in the seventy plus area. Because you know what? Let me introduce you as for everyone. Yeah. There we go. Yes. Hi, yeah. Mr. Yes. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, so much for joining us. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Shoot, two weeks. I have to change my sign-off <laughs> now. Uh, two weeks. We'll bye. See you in two weeks. Bye. bye. Let Me Introduce You is a podcast hosted by Graham Veth, Katie Kubert, and Ashley Crone. Music by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 License. Make sure to follow the Let Me Introduce You podcast on Instagram at Let Me Intro You Pod and on Twitter at Let Me Intro You.